Um, my, my daughter works, has worked at Hume for the past few, few summers, and you know how they have camp names when they work in Wagon Train like she has? She gave my wife a cabin name, and it's Sequoia because she's so strong and solid and good and, and trustworthy. So we're going to talk about the gospel. Good to see you all. I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about the gospel, what it is, what it really means to be a Christian, to understand what it means to be a Christian, and then to live that out as faithful Christians. So what, what I want you to know, I'm sure you've been hearing it at your church. I'm sure you've been hearing it here at Hume, but I want to make sure you understand what the gospel is. Here, here's where it starts, where the Bible starts in Genesis 1. God created you in his image, and you're awesome. The Lego movie song is actually accurate. Everything is awesome. And you know what's more awesome than anything else in all of creation? Human beings. We are made in God's image and likeness. There is something incredibly awesome about every single human being, you and everybody you've ever met. And you're created as someone in God's image to image him, to show who he is to the world. The heavens declare the glory of God, the Bible says, but human beings are intended to declare, to image, to show the, the, the reality of God more than anything else in all of creation. But the only way you can do that is in relationship with your creator, where you glorify him. And glorifying him in relationship with him is not something we should assume human beings have because the Bible says we all start off without that kind of God-glorifying relationship. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't glorify him with our lives. We boot up in rebellion. That's how human beings are. And so we recognize that we're not doing that by virtue of our human nature. We equally share. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone to his own way. And so we're all in this rebellion together against God. But thankfully, he didn't leave us there. But he sent the eternal son. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally in perfect relationship with each other. But God sends the son. The Father sends the son. And the son joyfully is sent. And he becomes one of us. He was always the eternal son. But in the what we call incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas, the eternal son became a human being. The way C.S. Lewis put it was that the son of God became a son of man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. And so in that becoming one of us, Jesus is able to truly represent us, but also have the power over our sin that we need him to have. And so he lives a perfect life of righteous obedience in place of our disobedience. He dies a perfect sacrificial death to pay for our sins because the Bible says that there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There needs to be a, a penalty for a just God to deal with sin and evil. And, and so he does that in sending his son who lives a perfect, righteous, obedient life for us, dies a perfect sacrificial death, and then raises from the dead and it lives forever and has conquered sin and death and hell in that resurrection. And so there are two ways to live. Well, that's what that boils down to. Either we live as our own gods in rebellion against him, not glorifying him, not in relationship with him, running life our own way, which can feel really fun and feel really fulfilling for a while, but it doesn't lead to ultimate fulfillment and certainly doesn't lead to eternal life. And so we can live that way, or we can turn from ourself and our sin to saving faith in Jesus 
and everything starts over again. We start fresh as new creatures in Christ, and we are able to have an abundant life beyond our wildest imagination and an eternal life in relationship with God through saving faith in him, leaning all our weight on Jesus, the living, ruling Lord of the universe. That's the gospel. Live your life as your own God or living your life, giving your life devotionally to the one true God in Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to understand the gospel. And so then what does it mean to live this out? It means we walk in newness of life every day. It means we walk in relationship with God, growing in our lives, devoting ourselves to the scriptures, to lives of prayer and prayerfulness, to fellowship with other people who are growing in their relationships with God. It means we commit to ministry and serving others. It means we commit to caring about the nations, hearing about Jesus. It means we suffer seeking to go deeper with God. It means we preach the gospel. We proclaim what this message I've just been saying. And it's beautifully summarized here in this passage in Colossians 1. Here it is. We have Colossians 1 up here. There it is. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so this is a beautiful just two-verse description of what it means to live out the Christian lives, not just as disciples, but as ministers of the gospel. I don't think you'll ever grow in the way God wants you to grow until you start to feel a sense of joyful privilege and responsibility for the growth of others. And so what it means to have a ministry mentality is what Paul's talking about here. Notice first he says, him we proclaim. We proclaim Christ. It's all about Jesus. And when you think about getting involved in a church or a ministry or anything that, that is like that, you need to ask, is it all about Jesus? Is it centrally about Jesus? Is he the one who's being held up? In the past couple of years, there have been some very prominent celebrity pastors who've had terrible falls morally. And if you look at those ministries, they were all about that dude. They may have talked about Jesus. They may have you know, said it was about Jesus. But when you look at the ministry, when you look at what's really going on, the image of it all, it's all about a man or a ministry. It's got to be about Jesus. Ask that about my preaching. Ask that about my church, your church, Hume Lake, whatever it is. Is it Jesus that's being highlighted here or how cool we are or how we got this ministry thing figured out? It's got to be about Christ, not, not even just in word. I mean, what, what legit Christian minister wouldn't say it's all about Jesus? But we can say it's all about Jesus on the surface, but underneath it's all about me or us and how cool we are. And it can't be. It's got to be Christ where we've gotten to the end of ourselves. You'll never get to the foot of the cross until you get to the end of yourself and realize there's only hope in Jesus because he's alive and present and active. And our Christian lives need to indicate that we really believe that. If someone listened to you talk just throughout a day, would they come away saying, you know what? Maybe they'll even say, I don't believe it. That dude really thinks Jesus is alive. 
That guy really thinks Jesus is active and present, that he has a relationship with him, he talks to him like a friend? That woman really thinks Jesus saved her from her own sin and from hell. She believes that. I mean, if people just listen to the way you talk, because it can't just be religious stuff and theological terms and theological problems and ministry issues. It's got to be Jesus. Him we proclaim. And notice the word proclaim. It's an important word. Most of the words in the New Testament that talk about what we do with the message of the gospel are those kinds of words. Keruso. These proclaim, preach, declare. It's not just chat or talk or share. It's proclaim with boldness and confidence and conviction and clarity and a desire for people to come to know this truth. Him we proclaim. I know that's not cool to be that confident and bold unless it's about some social issue that people give you permission to feel that way about. But Jesus is the one we need to be more known for in what we proclaim. I love what these these, uh, guys, these demons actually say to these exorcists who are trying to cast out a demon in Acts chapter 19. These guys come along and they they say, uh, "We, we adjure you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And the demon says, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? I love that they say, you know the guy Paul's going on about all the time, this Jesus guy? That's how we need need to be. We proclaim Christ with confidence. So it's him we proclaim. And then warning everyone. Do you have a sense as a Christian walking through your life of part of your job and privilege and responsibility being warning people? What do you think that's talking about, warning? What are we warning people about generally in the Bible? Anybody know? Judgment day. That there's coming a day when every single human being who's ever been made in God's image will stand before God and give an account for their life. Where the creator assesses your life. You know one of the greatest lies I think Satan has ever come up with and wove through all of Eastern religions? The idea of karma. It's so interesting how even Christians believe in karma now when it's actually antithetical to what the Bible teaches about life and time. What's karma? You know, I must admit I enjoy some of those instant karma videos you can find online where people immediately get what they had coming to them for something they did wrong, right? But, but to call that karma is to, to really miss it. This idea of karma is a troubling idea. It's this idea that there's this never-ending cycle of life. And, and if you don't get it right in this life, Well, you'll have another one to get it right in. Now, you'll come back if you didn't do it right here as a lower life form. But if you did do it well here, you'll come back as a higher life form. And on and on it goes infinitely. You know what the Bible says? It is appointed a man once to die and then to face the judgment. You don't have forever to keep trying to get it right. It is appointed a man wants to die and face the judgment. Judgment day is coming. Well, everyone will stand before God and give an account for their life. Now, those of us who've trusted Jesus, we depend on him on that day. And so we can look forward to that day and long for it and pray for it, knowing we're in Christ and God loves us in the Son and declares us righteous as Jesus in the Son with no shame on that day. 
But people who are their own gods need to fear that day. And so we warn them and we plead with them to flee the wrath to come with tears in our eyes and earnestness. That's the warning everyone. And then he says, teaching everyone. That means the Christian life is filled with learning. That's why you're sitting here doing that right now. In all week, while it's not just fun here, even though you learn in the midst of the fun too, I hope, but that we sit and we open our Bibles and we take notes and we think about these things and we, and we learn because our job as Christians is to be learners, be a voracious, curious learner. That should describe a Christian. And be a teacher. When you learn something, learn it with a view to teach. Don't just pool it, but give it away. Pour it out. So we teach everyone there's content to what we believe, which means there's work to grow. Learning requires work. And so be ready to put in the work. So we teach everyone, and we do it how? With all wisdom. We, we don't just want to bleh. We ask good questions. We, we find out where people are in their relationships with God, if they're in their understanding, and what they need from us right now. Maybe they need us to just listen right now really well. And empathetically. Maybe they need us to speak truth into their lives right now. Maybe they need us to just help them move or, or get, help them with their schoolwork or something. That we're, we're servant hearted in that way. But we want to do it with all wisdom. We want to encourage and bless and, and, and help people with all wisdom. We want to do it wisely. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. Before we get to the goal of maturity in Christ, think about all those everyones, you see it? Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Those everyones are there in the Greek text. It may seem repetitive to you, but it's not. It's for the point of saying, that means seek to be a minister. Seek to be helping people grow in maturity in Christ all the time. Just in the way you interact with somebody, getting a milkshake, or, or just when you have a conflict this week in some way. The way you honor and, and respect and show gratitude to your leaders and your parents that God has given to you. The, the way you live your life can be an example and an encouragement and an inspiration to other people. So there should be a, a sense of an everyoneness in all of this effort in that we, we want to realize that even passing interactions can be a blessing to people. I remember I was walking with my friend Ed, who's always thinking. Eddie's always thinking. And we walked by this little baby in a carrot, and I bent down and did, you know, that baby interaction you have. Hey, buddy, how you doing? And I usually scare kids, but this one seemed to enjoy the interaction. And he giggled a little bit and smiled, and we walked away, you know. And Ed said, hey, way to make a deposit in that little baby's idea of humanity in a positive way. He said, that kid will never remember you. He'll never remember that interaction. But that just had a little impact. You, you just added a little something to that perception of humans in that moment, right? I, I think that's true. We can't underestimate how God can use us, even in a passing interaction. When someone expects you to be mean and impatient or irritable or demanding in our consumer culture and you're kind... And you're encouraging, and you're grateful, and you're a blessing. You know what Paul says to the Philippians? He says, I want you to be like stars shining in a dark world. And you know one of the main ways he says you can do it? By doing everything without grumbling and complaining. 
Just decide to be a grateful person instead of a grumbling person, and you'll be so different than most people. And so we have the ability to have interactions that, that are long-term, that are in passing, but we want to have a sense of just who we are throughout our days as having a positive influence. And what does that mean? It means they're coming to greater maturity in Christ. Look, every time I speak, I know there are four kinds of people sitting there, including right now. People who aren't Christians and know it. I'm so grateful you're here. There are also people, though, who think they're Christians and they're not. The Bible has a lot of examples of those folks. Self-deceived. They think their religious pedigree somehow makes them in the kingdom. But then there are struggling Christians, really sometimes deeply struggling Christians. And then there are thriving and growing Christians. And I know every time I speak, all four of you are sitting out there. But here's the good news. The gospel is the answer for all of us. No matter where you are, knowing Jesus is what it's about. If you read the epistles in the New Testament, they're written by different authors to different churches, different audiences with different, sometimes very different problems, different cultural backgrounds, different issues they're dealing with, sometimes wildly different. But do you know how they all start? With a solid dose of who Jesus is. Pay it to, read through the epistles, the letters in the New Testament after the Gospels. And that's like they front load who Jesus is and what the gospel we've been talking about is. Because no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are, no matter what sort of person you are here in those four categories I was talking about, what you need is Jesus. And so we want people to come, what, to maturity in Christ, not just become Christians, but grow as Christians. And so we have the privilege of being ministers. I think most Christians are clueless about how much God can and wants to use us in the lives of other people. It's amazing how he uses frail, fallen people like us when we follow Jesus and can be an example in that way. And so we want maturity in Christ to come about. Well, what does this mean? It means in all our relationships, in all our interactions, what I get out of this is not my priority. Even maybe what that person wants from me isn't my priority. But what God wants for that person is my priority too, which is to know Christ, to grow in intimacy with him, to learn to love him and depend on him and treasure him far more than anything else or anyone else. Look, we all worship. Everybody does. Don't let anybody ever say to you, oh, you worship or you're one of those religious people. Or, or you believe in God, yeah, I don't do any of that stuff. That's just not true. God made us as worshiping beings. You're going to give yourself to something. Everybody is. It may be a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It may be a hobby. It may be a video game you want to attain the highest. What's getting your passion? What's getting your devotion? What's getting your thoughts? It becomes your God. And so we all are going to worship be devoted to something centrally. Something's going to grip our passions. But the question is, is that thing worthy of all my heart? Is it worthy of all my devotion and all my passions? Is it worthy of my worship? That's the question. And so our job has got to be helping people to grow in their devotion to God himself, that Jesus is our delight. And so we are able to have an influence on people's maturity in Christ. And I mean this as, as expansively and exhaustively and comprehensively as I, I can possibly can. Let me give you an example of what I mean. So I, I 
been working with, I've been a pastor and a theology professor for over 30 years. And so I, I love young people. I love people your age. You're my people. And I love you. And I'm a pastor, so I love other demographics as well. But I love young people and where you are in your lives. It's thrilling to be part of that. And so I deal with a lot of dating, romance sorts of issues and questions in the lives of my people. And here's what I almost always end up saying to them. You know, it's not that complicated to date as a Christian. Here's what it means. Um, tell me your name. Bryson. Bryson. Preston. 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 Um, tell me your name. Madeline. Madeline. <clears throat> you guys know each other? Okay. Say this week you started dating. It's hypothetical. Don't get weird. So just, <laughs> just say this week Madeline and Preston, you Something kindles, right? You start dating each other. And you resume the relationship after you leave here, and it ends up going somewhere, unlike most camp romances, right? So, so if you came to me and said, I just started dating Madeline, she's, she's got her notebook open. She, I have a feeling she's a mature young lady. I can just tell. And I can tell you are too. Check you out. You got your Bible, you got your notebook. You're not playing, you're not messing around here. You guys may need to have a milkshake. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So Madeline and Preston start dating. If you, you know what I'm going to say to you, Preston? Look, date Madeline in a way. Here's your goal. When she breaks up with you, which is entirely in the realm of possibility, at your age, these relationships tend not to last through marriage, right, statistically. So just always keep that in mind, even if it's going great, that this isn't permanent right now. We have not ended it. So here's what you do. Date Madeline in a way where when... You end up breaking up with each other, and she meets another guy, gets engaged, and is marrying that dude. You get invited to the wedding. Right. And here's the goal. Get invited to the wedding, and at the reception, your goal should be for her new husband to come over to you and say, hey, Preston, brother, thanks for dating Madeline. She's more like Jesus because she hung out with you. And she's a better wife than she would have been if she didn't hang out with you. Thanks, brother. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, people laugh at me when I put that goal out there. They laugh at me. Why do they laugh at me? Because relationships usually break all kinds of boundaries physically and emotionally, and they hurt each other, and they're selfish. And so to go to each other's weddings, the last thing you're going to want. But shouldn't that be what it's like for Christians? And, and you know what? You should get invited to his wedding. Then his new wife should come over to you and say, thanks for dating Preston, Madeline. He's more like Jesus because he spent time with you. Now, that seems like a crazy goal, but it isn't. It's exactly what it should be like for Christians, right? That it's not about what I want out of this or even what that other person may want out of it, but what God wants out of it, which is greater maturity in Christ. And if your primary influence in somebody else's life was their maturity in Christ, why wouldn't you get invited to the wedding? Seriously, right? That's how it should be. And so, so to present others mature in Christ, and don't miss that present language. Look at that present language. We present everyone mature in Christ. That's Judgment Day language, too, that at the end of your life, you're going to have people who know Jesus better, who are deeper in their relationships with him than they otherwise would have been if they didn't know you. That you've got that to show for your life more than any other accomplishment. That's what it's about. And look, it's work, toil, struggle. 
with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So it's hard work, it's toil, it's struggle, but it's ultimately something the Spirit does in our lives as we depend on him to use us to help people come to maturity in Christ. Good stuff. That's all I got. What do you want to talk about? Thank you, thank you, thank you. He started that. What's your name? What's your name? Caleb? Caleb? You're a leader, man. You're a leader. I, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Um, all right. What do you want to talk about? We got a few minutes for questions, comments, pushback, disagreements, anything. Seriously. I love interaction. What do you want to ask? Let's start. We'll go, to, go anywhere. I teach theology, philosophy, apologetics. I've been a pastor for 30 years. I've thought about a lot of stuff. But first, let's think about what I've been saying here. What do you got? Tell me your name. Andrew. How many weddings have you been to? Hundreds. Oh, not a former girlfriend. Is that what you were asking? <laughs> I've officiated hundreds of weddings. I work with young people. What do you think? Yes. You had a, your, Andrew's friend had a question too? With that great hair, man. That's, that's just fantastic hair. Let that go. Let that hair go, man. Let it get huge. Tell me your name. I had a comment just on um, when you talk about Christ. Yeah. And not making it about Christ. Yeah. Uh, one thing, and it's actually funny because I just sat in on your wife's seminar. Yes. And I think something that's so big that stuck out to me in Psalm 1 is how Jesus calls us or how God calls us to be planted like a tree next to the source of life. And I think what happens when you start following pastors is we're not the tree planted right next That's to the right. source. We're planted away from it, relying on that. That's right. And homeboy's roots are really shallow, man. That's right. He, you, and you don't find that out until something crisis happens or something. And he says, homeboy's got shallow roots. I need God, right? I don't need him. He so needs God, right? Yes. 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 Beautiful. All right. Excellent. Well, yeah, tell me your name. Paul. Yeah. Yes. Paul, what a great question. So, so um, yeah, how do we deal with the, the, the weightiness of our calling and the spirit dependence of it? And I would say, first and foremost, it's in the area I actually have the biggest struggle with in, in my growing Christian life, and that's prayerfulness. Ian Bounds said, never go to men about God until you go to God about men, right? So when you start your day on your knees saying, like I did today, Lord, help me to be a blessing to these young people. Help me to love them well. Help them to see Jesus better. Help them to understand your word more deeply. Don and I prayed that together this morning before we came over. I knew that if it were just, look, the church rewards charisma way more than character. It, it rewards um, talent way more than integrity, for instance. And so we can't just ride the gifts we have. We need the spirit to work. Or it may be impressive to people, but not in a lasting, eternal, effective way. And so be a prayerful man. Get on your knees and pray that God would work in you and through you in the lives of other people and watch him blow your mind at how he does that. 
So utter dependent prayerfulness that, that depends on the Spirit's filling, empowering, and enabling is the number one thing. Lots of other one things. And committed to the fellowship of the saints, like, like we're doing here in, the, in your local church ideally, right? That you're committed to the, the, the interdependent growth we're all part of, but that you're also bathing your whole life in ministry and prayer that is grounded in dependence on God, really realizing what he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just like the, the, the root idea, right? That's a great question, Paul. One or two more, yeah. Well, you talked about like uh, judgment today. And yeah. I think something we, I don't know, when we're sharing the gospel, we kind of like shy away from talking about judgment day because it's like a scary, you don't want to scare people away. What would you kind of say about people that are like scared about sharing that? I would say follow our leader. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody in the Bible. And look, we don't want to. <laughs> We don't want to lack love. Like, you know how I started the gospel today? I got to judgment. I got to the wages of sin is death. But I started with, you're an awesome creation of God, made for fellowship with him and to glorify him. That's what you're able to do in your life. How's that going? Because then we need to talk about the reality of sin and that a holy God judges sin. Don't you want him to hate sin and judge it? I do. And, and so get to it in a way that, that has a real positive starting point but gets to the reality of sin, which is undeniable in human history and, and human hearts. And, and get to the fact that God loves righteousness and goodness, which means he necessarily hates sin and evil. I couldn't live in a world where I didn't think Judgment Day was coming, right? I, I can especially say that because I'm in the sun and I don't have to face the judgment because he was judged for me. And I want other people to benefit from that as well. But I love a God of justice. When somebody wrongs me, I want to know there's justice someday. When I see the, uh, the atrocities in this world, I need to know that the judge of all the earth will do right one day. And he will. And he's got a solution to my sin that needs to be deal with, dealt with too. So it can't be self-righteous. It, it can't lack love and a positive aspect. But it's got to include a holy God who, of course, judges sin. Of course he does. What kind of God would say, ah, eh, I'm good. No, I can't, that's not a good loving God who, who just doesn't care about sin and evil, right? So I don't want a God who doesn't hate sin and evil and do something about it, even in my own heart. I want one that, that follows through in that way. Tell me your name. Sophie, wisdom. Yes, I can tell you have some wisdom, Sophie. I can Yep. Great question. So what do you do when you can't feel God? So often when I pray, I feel like there's not a connection. Completely relate. And like I said, prayer is probably my biggest challenge. It takes work. And, and here's, here's the bottom line, Sophie. Don't let your immediate experience or your emotions, your lack of emotions, be what determines your commitment to what God has said will make you deeper. Do it. Just obey. Jesus says, if you love me, he does not say, you'll have all kinds of wild feelings about me. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And one of the things the Bible commands is prayerfulness. Be in constant prayer. Have a prayerful life. And so do it. And trust over the long haul you're going to be going deeper. You're going to look back and say, 
while all along the way I would so frequently feel a disconnect, but I'm deeper now. It's like working out, right? So my son is working here on grounds actually this summer, my son, my son Sam, and he, he said to me, I think he was 10, and he said, Dad, can I go lift weights with you? And I said, sure. So we went to the gym, we lifted weights for an hour, we came home. He jumped out of the car and sprinted in the house. I thought he had to go to the bathroom. He didn't. I go in his room, and he's, he's standing in front of the mirror with his shirt off. He ran in the house, whipped his shirt off, went in front of the mirror, and he's just standing there forlorn. And I said, Sam, what's wrong? He goes, Dad, it didn't work. <laughs> and I said, oh, you thought there'd be a change that fast? No, son, sit down. And I had to explain him how exercise works, right? A lot of similarities to spiritual growth as well. And sometimes you ain't feeling it. That's okay. I think sometimes praying when you don't feel like it so is more honoring to God than praying when you do feel like it. Right? When it's not just flowing. Because what are you saying? I believe you. I take you at your word. Even when it's, it's not feeling all like it should right now. So faithfulness means doing what you know is right and what God says, sometimes in spite of how you feel. Don't let, we, we have a hyper-validation of immediate subjective emotional feeling in our culture today where what I feel determines reality, which would be horrible if that were true, right? I love you guys. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for these dear uh, young women and men sitting before me. I know you know them perfectly. You made each of them, knitted them together in their mother's womb. You've been working in their lives every day and holding them in your hand every day. And today's no exception. So Lord, I pray that you would be blessing them, encouraging them, equipping them, and using them greatly in the lives of others to bring them to greater maturity in Christ as they grow in that as well. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are fantastic.